0: Mac Power Users, episode 572, iPhone and iPad tips. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks.
1: Hey, Stephen. How are you today?
0: I am good. I'm really good. How about you? I, uh... I'm I'm questioning
1: your statement because I got a picture from you yesterday in my message, and it was a very sad looking iPhone 12 Pro.
0: Yeah, so if you if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen this. Um, I have broken broken my 12 Pro. <laughs> Isn't that like a thing with you?
1: Like you like to break Apple technology?
0: I don't Isn't like to. It just happens a lot. That's all.
1: I mean, how how often do you break phones? I mean, how many phones have you broken?
0: Well, you know, I've got a an Apple note list. I feel like uh, I even updated it. I've talked about oh, this somewhere, but it's it's a pretty long list. Let's see, two, four, six. This is iPhone number seven. That's been broken.
1: Wow. Uh, well, a four
0: S, a six, a six plus, a seven plus, a ten, a 10S Max, and now the twelve Pro. I feel like
1: at some point, Apple's going to put you on a list, like a no flies list for Apple Care. They'll be like, oh, no thanks, man. No thanks. Yeah. You're on your own.
0: Yeah, you can't. Yeah. So I always do the Apple Care Plus on the phones. And it's for this reason I have a tendency to break them. I do generally use them without a case. So some of that's on me. A case probably would have saved this phone, but because uh, it landed basically flat on its back on concrete. So the back is completely shattered all the way up to the cameras including over the lidar sensor. So this happened yesterday. Last night I tried some low light photography and because the glass is shattered over the lidar sensor, it it like couldn't focus in low light. It it is acting very strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's it's murdered.
1: So what happens during a pandemic when you've got Apple Care and your phone breaks?
0: So this is new to me because we have an Apple store here. And I thought, oh, I'll just, um, I I don't really want to go in, but I guess I'll, you know, put on a mask and go to the Apple store. And then I remembered, right, our Apple store is closed. In fact, it's been closed for almost a year. It was open for a couple of months in the summer, and then they closed again, and they haven't reopened. But Apple does have this thing called the iPhone Express Replacement Service. It's a it's available to people with Apple Care Plus, and basically how it works is, in my case, I just did the online chat with Apple Support yesterday. You know, give them the serial number, tell them what happened, and how this works is they send me a replacement iPhone, and I still have my busted phone. My busted phone is, is here with me. It's now in a case to keep the back together because there was glass everywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so put it in the case after I break it, which, uh, you know, say you closing call.
1: the barn door, sure. you know, choose yeah. your saying here.
0: All that, <laughs> all that's true. And so they send me a phone and then I can move my data and then I send them the broken one. Cause on the, on the phone, on the, all the Face ID phones, if you break the back glass, it's a full phone replacement. Yeah. So I'm charged the $99 incident fee per my Apple Care Plus agreement. But because they're sending me a phone, they put a hold on the credit card number I gave them of the full amount of the phone, which sure. in this case, because it's an iPhone 12 Pro, the 512 gig version, whatever that is, $1,300 or something. So you know, I had to sheepishly go to my wife and be like, hey, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm gonna park this on the credit card for two weeks. Um, they said it would take five to seven days to get the phone to me. I have not gotten a sh- I have not gotten a shipping notification yet. But we're recording this on Monday. It's a holiday in the U.S., so I expect to get a shipment notification maybe tomorrow. And then once I have both of them, I have ten business days to return the original phone. Now, for me, I'll just do it whatever evening that is. I'll do the direct phone to phone transfer. Cause this phone still fully functions. I've been using it all day. Just the glass is shattered on the back yeah. and then I can send it back to them. So this is nice. I'm not with I'm not ever without a phone. Obviously I can't go into an Apple store cause ours is closed right now. The parking, the money on the credit card. Like that's not ideal. I don't love that, but I understand why they do that because I have two yeah, of their phones. Take off with it. Yeah, yeah Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, it's my first time ever, ever using this, uh, program and, you know, uh, I'll report back, but from people I've talked to who have used it, because this is how they do this for Apple watches and a bunch of other stuff. I've heard really good things about it because you can transfer your data. You're not like, if you do the genius bar, which I've replaced phones, you know, through the Apple store many times, then you're like, you're going home with a phone with no data on it and you're using iCloud to restore. And I really like the direct transfer just over your wifi network. Yeah. And I don't want to be stuck in a position where like my phone is not set up or I'm waiting for iCloud or something. So I can do this in my own time over the 10 days. I'm sure like everything else with Apple, it'll come with the new label on it and I just drop it back off at UPS or FedEx or whatever. And then, um, that charge will come off my credit card. I'll be out the 99 bucks as expected. I broke the phone. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I am with it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that they have a way to accommodate you with all this going on. I, I have kind of a similar Apple store, Apple care bit of information for listeners. As I explained on the show, my first M1 MacBook was a MacBook air that had serious problems on arrival. And I called Apple to try and get a genius appointment to have them look at it. Because I, even with, you know, Steven's help and other friends, this thing, I think there was a hardware issue with that computer. I think and, so, too. And they, they're like, well, we don't have any appointments for you. Call back in a week and see if you can get an appointment then. And, you know, I, I just got the computer. And I'm thinking... There's also this return problem period, right? You know, and I'm like, if this thing is, if it's just hard to date it, I'm not going to get married to it. So I just decided to take it in and and return it. My wife had an appointment that was near an Apple store. So I went to the Apple store and it was all safe outside and everything. And I returned it. And just on the lark, I said, do you have any M1s in stock? This was early when there weren't very many. And they said, oh yeah, we do. We have a MacBook Pro, not a MacBook Air. I said okay, so I bought a a um, MacBook Pro, but only had the eight gigs of RAM, and I used it, and I started immediately getting memory errors. <laughs> you know, I sent and we talked about that on the show too. So I decided that computer really isn't going to be good enough for me. I I ordered a build to order Pro with sixteen gigabytes, and I intended to return the the first MacBook Pro. You know, so computer number two in this series of three, right? Except the store closed between the time that I bought it and the time that I ordered the new one and I couldn't return it. I called up Apple's um, 1-800 number and said, can I just mail it to you to get a return? And they said, no, because the stores and the online use a different system, which is kind of amazing, but they do. Cause they have to take it to the store. I said, well, the store's closed. And the bit of information I got was that you can return that computer up to two weeks after the store opens. So, There's like a hold on it. And so it's sitting, you know, on a shelf in the box, completely wiped, waiting to go back. But I I check once a week to see if the store is opened. and with the way things are in California now, I may have this computer for another month or two before I actually can return it.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely not just people who don't have Apple stores that are closed because of the pandemic. A lot of people don't live near a phone. I mean, we hear from a lot of listeners who their nearest Apple store may be a a multi-hour drive. And so this... These online programs are good for lots of people. And, you know, like always, the, the chat support was really good. It's pretty quick. They did the paperwork. They sent it to me. I signed it, sent it back. And, uh, yeah, I expect to have a, a non-Shatter 12 Pro probably, you know, on my front doorstep here in just a few days.
1: Yeah. And another thing I did on that transaction was I um, uh, we had an extra 12-inch MacBook Adorable here. Um, that was my daughter's that when i got her new mac here i still had it and i sent it into apple because the keyboard wasn't working and they replaced the keyboard and the battery so we had a working laptop and i just ended up selling it back to apple as part of the purchase of that new pro so mm-hmm. i got you know like 500 bucks off of it and it was you know great so it it's all good uh but it, it is a little frustrating that i can't return this one i i do wish they had a way to return store purchases via mail during this but But at least they're being cool about it, and and they're going to give me two weeks after they reopen the stores, which could be a long time from now.
0: Yeah, that's really cool of them. And, I mean, they know that their systems have issues and that people have fallen between the cracks. You know, I think that over the last decade, it's been really interesting to see Apple retail kind of lose its way, I think, under some executives. But it feels like where it is now is is in pretty good shape given all the stuff that's going on in the world, right? They can't have these stores open safely. And so they're doing what they can to accommodate customers. And Apple's always been good at that.
1: Yeah. So all the Apple Care stories aside, uh, today's show is actually going to be about iPad and iPhone tips. We've been uh, thinking about this in the background for a long time. And it's like we have all these cool little tricks and tips on the iPhone and iPad that we want to share. And I know, you, dear listener, are going to know some of these, but hopefully you don't know all of them. And as we go through the show, we've got a a wide variety of tips and tricks that we've kind of collected over time. And I thought that would be fun today. Also today on the More Power Users episode for subscribers, we had a ton of news drop or rumors drop over the last week about Apple's um, lineup of Macs over the next year. So Stephen and I you know, this isn't a new show, but we're going to go into the rumors in the more power usage today, and I am I am strapped in for that,
0: dude. There's so much stuff. It, it yeah, we've said this I don't know how many times, but it, it keeps becoming more true. It's like I am so excited to see what this year holds for the Mac. I'm so optimistic, and I think it's going to be really great.
1: Yeah, I put a post up of Max Barky this morning where I called it the Mac Renaissance, and I I think that's the right word for it. It's just the Mac is is so much an A player right now in Apple's lineup, and it's just going to get better this year, I think.
0: So do we want to dive into some tips? Yeah, yeah. Where are we going to start? Uh, let's start with some some stuff I think that's on both the iPhone and iPad because right, they share so much. iPadOS is really only a couple of years old, and there is plenty of iPad-specific stuff, but a lot of the stuff does work on both platforms. And I wanted to start with email <laughs> Oh no, I'm you. What has happened?
1: <laughs> yeah, what has happened?
0: A, a, man, a big part of my workflow on the Mac or the iPad or even the phone honestly is saving emails as PDFs, whether I'm attaching them to an expense or something in my company's bookkeeping software, just filing it away in some place like Craft or Notes or Dropbox. That's a pretty pretty consistent thing that I do. On the Mac, it's really easy, but on iOS and iPadOS, it is present, but it's not as easy. So you have an email open in the mail app, and then you go to print it. It's pretty similar to how it is on the Mac, right? Save as PDF is generally accessed through the print dialog on the Mac, which I think really confuses new users, but it's been that way for 20 years. So that's where it is. Yeah. And on that print screen, you get a preview. So at the top, it's telling you what printer you're going to print to, how many copies, et cetera. And then you get a preview of it on the bottom. And if you pinch out on that preview to make it full screen, then you get the little share button in the upper right, and you can save that PDF or send it to an application that accepts PDFs. You can upload it to Dropbox, save it to files, send it via messages or a new email, whatever you need to do. Something that I do quite a bit.
1: You know, what's maddening about that is the code is in there to save an email as a PDF. You just, it's like you need a secret incantation to activate it when all they would have to do is add a button. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. they could add a PDF button and it would do the same thing and you wouldn't have to go through this crazy thing where you got to like print and then cuz print takes I think two taps to get to print then you got to do a reverse swipe and you got to do a, another tap to actually hit the sharing button to get it to you know the sharing screen for the PDF and um every time I do it I I don't even understand why they did it I mean, it's like it's almost like a joke it's like okay let's give them what they want but let's hide it <laughs> yeah you know i just it doesn't make sense to me it's like maybe it's like the person on the team really didn't want to add the feature. So he thought, let's, you know, make them go through a maze first, like a mouse. <laughs> I don't know, right?
0: <laughs> a passive-aggressive software feature is what you're yes, saying? Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> but you look at all the third-party mail apps. One of the best reasons to use something like Spark is they have a PDF button. You press it, and you can share a PDF to any app. And I know a ton of people that use these third-party apps for that reason alone. And, you know, I, I'm over you know, we used to do shows on Mac powers and every year I'd be like, Oh, this is the year we're going to get that sharing button in Apple mail. I, you know, I am like, uh, I'm over. I, I read a study once about a shark and, um, a seal and they put them in a tank together, but they put a glass barrier between them. So they're in a big tank. There's a big glass barrier between them and the shank and the shark kept bumping his nose against the glass. You know, he wanted to go eat the seal. And, um, he did, they let the, at the glass in there for like a week or two i don't know but the and after a while the shark just stopped trying to bump the glass and get the seal and then they took the glass out and the shark never ate the seal
0: i'm the shark man
1: <laughs> i've been bumping my nose against this glass for too long I, whatever you know <laughs> anyway well, i think that was a bit of a rant i'm sorry gang
0: no it's good uh, you're a shark yeah, it not seem very shark-like to me. I'm
1: a shark. I'm a shark with a very dented nose on this issue. <laughs> um, uh, I've got a bunch of them here. One of some of them are really simple. Some of them are kind of more complex. I'll start with a simple one though, and this is one that um, I think a lot of people just don't know is there. They added it recently, so you know when you go into the settings on your iPhone, which is what you're going to do for a lot of the stuff we talk about today on the show. Um, there's a lot of drilling involved, you know, settings, general, you know, blah, 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 you you, you drill down four or five levels and then you get stuck there and you want to get back out, but you want to keep working with settings and you've got to decide am I going to, you know, jump out to home screen and start over again or am I going to click the back button eight times? You don't need to do that. You just long press the back button and it pulls you out of settings. Not only does it pull you out of settings, it gives you the ability to go back to any level in the settings that you're in. It's a dumb little thing, but I don't think many people know about it. And it makes navigating your settings on your phone way easier.
0: It's also true in mail. If you have folders and subfolders in mail, you can also press and hold on that back button in mail and then go all the way back up or to any intermediate level. So this is something that shows up more than one place, which is nice because it, it kind of bakes itself into our habits.
1: Yeah, the first place I ever saw this feature was an OmniFocus, and it's still there. So if you're an OmniFocus user and you're you know drilled down through your perspectives uh, or your whatever in OmniFocus, you want to just get back to the main screen, you just hold down the back button and it takes you all the way. And uh, so this has been kind of banging around in the community for a long time, but Apple is bringing it into the operating system now, and I think that's that's good to know.
0: Definitely. I would I would even extend that to say that the the long press does all sorts of things all over the OS. One complaint that a lot of people had when it was force touch and you actually had to press and like press into the display right that was a very short lived hardware feature actually never made it to the iPad. But that long press can do all sorts of things. Not only does it un, uh, show you shortcuts. Within applications on the home screen, which is a great way to jump into a specific part of an application. But uh, one of my all time favorites is in Safari. If, you know, in, on the phone in particular, it has that carousel view of the tabs, which is fine if you have just a few tabs open. But if you have a lot and you want to close them all, you may think that you have to swipe them all over or hit the little X. Uh, well, you can actually long press while you're there in safari and uh close all the tabs at once which is a huge time saver
1: yeah in fact safari i've got another tip later about long pressing and and let's just do it now safari is one of the best places to try out long presses because it is i guess the team on safari is into long press because they've put it in so many ways you can now, one of the things I discovered recently by accident, you know how you've got the navigation bar on the right when you've got a long web page on Safari? Mm-hmm. If you long press that, it kind of swells up a bit, and you can slide it up and down right on, making it easier to navigate an article. You the, you can close all open tabs. Um, that was the one I think that most people don't even realize is there. You can also reopen recently closed tabs. And the way you do that is you long press on the plus button in that screen, and it'll give you a list of your recently closed tabs. You can go back and get those, you know, Steven, how you do that trick where you have a folder of tags or folder of bookmarks on your Mac, getting ready to start a podcast. You'll open all the bookmarks for Mac power users or whatever on your Mac. You can do that on the iPhone too, and the iPad with a long press. So you just go to your bookmarks menu in Safari and long press on a folder and it, there's an option to open in new tabs, all of those bookmarks. I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff in there and and it's great. Uh, the other one I use all the time, if you long press a link, it'll it'll open a preview of that link. Mm-hmm. So you don't like exit where you're at. Like you're reading an article and they make reference to something and you're like, well, do I really want to read that or not? If you just long press the link, it opens a little preview of it. So it gives you a better idea what you'd be clicking into. I don't know. It, it's a uh, it's a very powerful feature. Um, long press is also very useful. Stephen mentioned for app icons. If you long press on them, it gives you additional options, which I don't think enough people really are, are aware of that or use that. What are some of your uh, favorite long presses outside of Safari?
0: One of my uh, well, one of my favorites in Safari that you didn't mention is if you are. I do this a lot if I'm like researching something and I've I've gone down that rabbit hole. And yeah. I need to jump back in my history. You can long press on the back button and you get a little pop-up and it gives you your entire like breadcrumb trail of the web pages you had opened in that tab, and you can and you can go back, which is really, really handy.
1: See, I didn't even know that one existed.
0: Yeah. They're everywhere yeah. in Safari. It is it is wild. They really do love it. I think you're right about that.
1: Yeah, they also give you a contextual menu with a long press on a link so uh, you can download files. I I often get people asking me on uh, field guides, how do they download them on iPad and iPhone? You can do it. It's a little tedious, but you can get a a download link on a file just by long pressing it. Um, So, you know, it's just, like I said, the Safari team is all in with those long presses. They are. And it's it's interesting because we had the Force Touch for uh, several years, and now that's kind of gone away. And been replaced by the long press but people still want to force press you don't have to do that just set your finger on it and keep it there you don't have to like pressure your finger through the glass
0: anymore yeah that took a little while for me to unlearn yeah but i don't
1: even think about it anymore um the, the problem with long press in my opinion is that it is a hidden interface interaction you know just like Uh, you know, the obvious analogy on the Mac is the right click, but on the mouse, you have a second button there that you can see and know that you should right click, right? Um, I think a lot of users have no idea long press does anything anywhere and it never occurs to them to use it. And then Apple sometimes gets a little tricky with it. Like for instance, on the Apple Watch, for the longest time in the app view, a force press on the Apple Watch would allow you to switch the app view from the, useless honeycomb view to a list view which is the only way civilized humanity should use a watch it doesn't work anymore um if you long press it wants you to delete apps it doesn't give you a chance to change the view mode you have to go into the preferences mm-hmm. and that that's just another problem it's like okay you you start training me that i can long press but then you change the behavior i'm not a fan of that
0: one of my favorite places where the long press comes into its own is in control center and we're going to talk about control center uh, some more, but a lot of the things in control center, if you long press give you additional functionality. So if I long press on the flashlight, I can change the brightness of the flashlight. My favorite is the timer. So it gives you this graph and you can scrub it from one minute up to two hours and then you can just hit start. So I don't have to go into the timer UI. I can do it right from control center. Likewise, if you click on the the, little, the thing that's got like airplane mode and cellular, Bluetooth, et cetera, you can go in there and turn things on and off individually or change settings. A lot of stuff in control center has hidden things to um, to edit and change.
1: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password. Go to onepassword.com/mpu in all caps to get twenty percent off your plan. Now it's the new year; it's a good time to start thinking about, you know, what can I change this year. And one of the things I would recommend you consider is an audit of your computer security policies. And there's no better companion for that than One Password. If you download one password on your devices, it's like having a little security expert in your pocket. Uh, it does a couple of things. First it does is it creates passwords for you. You know, So when you go to a new website, you don't have to go to the same old password you use all the time. As humans, it's very easy for us to want to do that, to have like a go-to password. Maybe you've got a couple passwords. Like you've got the simple one like pencil, and then you've got a clever one like pencil eraser, 2001, you know, something like that. And you think you've got it all figured out. Well, you don't. Because if any of the bad guys hack into any of those systems, even if it's not your fault, they break into the to the website and get your password and your email account, they're going to go and start using those all across the internet to see if they can get your your information. One password just comes up with a completely unique and special password for every website. You can even tell it how to make that password. So it can be a bunch of uh, different letters and symbols, or it can be a series of random words tied together with hyphens. No matter how you want to to create your passwords, it'll do that for you. And then it'll remember them all for you. That's why it's called 1Password. You just got to remember the 1Password. So you get both the security that you want plus the convenience that you need. And that's the, the base level. But 1Password does so much more. You know, It can go through and store secured notes for you, like uh, where I keep my medical records in there so nobody gets them if my, they get my phone. Um, they also have these great systems that go through and keep track of the logins you have and they'll let you know if like one of the websites that you use has been hacked so you can go in and change your password and protect yourself. They just, it's just like a security tool. And the uh, family and the company plans are really useful with uh, me and my wife and my kids. We have different vaults that we share with our family plan. I I pay for it just like you guys do. And uh, just the other day, my wife needed to log into Uh, the waste management people. And I sent her the password through the secure vault that her and I share. And she was able to go in and take care of that. And and I didn't have to text message it to her or do something dumb and unsecure. And that super heavy password I have, even for the waste management website, it didn't bother her because she just copied it and pasted it through her one password installation. It was just awesome. So you should use one password too. you know, get a family plan, Get your your spouse and your family in on it together, so they also learn about security, and get twenty percent off with that website at onepassword.com/mpu. Once again, onepassword.com/mpu. Make it all caps to get that twenty percent off. Let them know you heard about it here at the Mac Power Users. But even more importantly, set up some security going forward into this new year. Thanks, One Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users.
0: So we've got a few more that are both on the iPhone and iPad. And one that I use really, really often is around privacy and photo sharing. Okay. Take a bunch of pictures with my iPhone. Obviously, they have location data with the photo, which is fantastic. I want that data, but I don't always want to have that data in photos that I share. Right? Yeah, yeah. And if you're sharing them from iOS, there is a really easy way to make sure that there's no location data associated with the photo you're getting ready to send somebody. So you're in the share sheet, and and this is a this is a good tip for lots of things in the share sheet. Very often there'll be an options button at the top of the share sheet, and when it's a photo, if you tap that options uh, button, you get uh, several several different options. You can include all photo data or you can remove that data, including location. So you can toggle the location off and then send that photo with no, no GPS data associated with it. Uh, you also have some other options there. You can send it as an iCloud link. So if you have a bunch of photos you need to send, And maybe it's going to be in an email or an MMS. So people don't necessarily have the ability to receive large photos via MMS all the time. You can send a link. And basically what it does is those photos get uploaded to the secret iCloud link. And people have the ability to download them within a a certain amount of time. If they're on an iPhone, they can just add them to their library. And if they're not, then they can download them and and do what they want to with them. But that options button is really key, especially when you want to hide your location. You know, for a long time, I had a shortcut that did this, that stripped photo information or GPS information from a photo. But most of the time I realized that I just want to turn that off and maybe certain context. And so the share sheet has fulfilled that need for me.
1: Yeah, but this is a trap that's easy to fall into. I was just a, a can. I was communicating with a listener recently in about Star Wars and I sent a picture of the Yoda I keep on my desk and and he wrote back saying, "Hey, uh, I know where you live now because you didn't take the data out of your photo." <laughs> and I was I was, you know, I was thankful of him for pointing that out to me, but it's easy to forget, but this is something everybody should be aware of. And you know, just think about the people that you are communicating with and do you really want them to know exactly where you were when you took that picture? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, we talked briefly about uh, Control Center, but I want to go a little bit uh, deeper on Control Center. I think this is a very underused feature. So, if you swipe down on the current iPhones from the top right corner, which is a, another reason why I think a lot of people miss it, because like if you swipe down in the center over the center of the iPhone over the notch, you're going to get your notifications. But if you swipe down over the right side, you know the very where you've got the the battery level and the the Wi-Fi connection, uh, you're going to get the control center. So first, it's easy to miss. But secondly, um, you don't have to use the control center as Apple set it up for you. If you go into settings under general, there's a control center in there. And my advice there is to go nuts because uh, you've got that screen space on these big phones. Put as many tools under the control center as you can fit a couple in general that I think people miss are what I call replacement control center apps where historically you would have an app on your home screen or an app very close by where you can put that feature into the control center. Uh, Exhibit A for me is wallet, right? Every time I travel, I need Wallet because I usually put my plane tickets and things there. And, and even when I go shopping, sometimes I need the wallet to get access to cards and whatnot. Um, But it always, I always hated the idea of putting a wallet icon on my home screen or even putting it in like, close real estate, because it just didn't feel like it earned it. But you can just add your wallet to the control center. And now, anytime I swipe down to the right side, I can jump straight to my wallet, and it's just always there. Um, Other ones like that are calculator. You know, if you're going to use the built-in calculator, I do wish that you could customize them to third-party apps, but you can't now. Camera and flashlight, while there's ways to get to the camera and flashlight quickly, um, one of them is control center. You can just add them there, and you're good Mm -hmm. to go.
0: One thing I do with the camera is on the lock screen, it's in the bottom right-hand corner. So I have camera on the dock in the right-hand side and in control center on the bottom right. So that section of my screen is always available to me to launch the camera quickly.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I know a lot of people say you shouldn't put the camera on your home screen because, you know, it's such valuable real estate. But, I mean, you got kids and you want to take pictures and... Mm -hmm. Uh, they are not necessarily cooperative about pictures. So if you're going to get the shot, you got to get it open as quick as possible.
0: (laughs) Right. That's right. That
1: is Um, right. The, um, some of the, and then Steven talked earlier about long pressing in control center, which is a whole opens a whole new level of like coolness. If you start long pressing these icons and then suddenly like you want to get the camera, but you want to get to the selfie camera or whatever. Um, you can do that stuff without having to fiddle in the app. You just swipe down control center, long press the camera icon and you're good to go. Um there are some control center apps that I think don't get enough love and I wanted to point a couple of them out. Is that okay? Absolutely. The first one and I'm not sure if this is an age thing, maybe it is, but Magnifier is amazing. <laughs> uh, so it's an app on your phone. If you search it, you can launch it, an app called Magnifier. But I, I just enabled the Magnifier icon and control center. And what it is, it's just kind of a special mode for the camera. And you can point it at something and you can take a picture on a basically a macro level and then zoom it in. Like I talked about earlier how I, I turned in that old MacBook when I, when I bought this new one. They wanted the serial number. And I I didn't have the computer turned on, but the serial number was on the back. So I just took a picture with magnifier, and then I could stretch it open to read those teeny tiny letters and numbers that they have on the back of that MacBook. And I just find uses for this all the time. And I I realize I'm over 50. So maybe there's 20 year olds laughing at me. I remember when I was 20, I laughed at anybody that used a font size bigger than the smallest possible font size. So uh, I get it. But you know what this is coming for you too, buddy. So just hang in there.
0: Oh no, I've got I've got it in my control center for the yeah. same reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just think people don't realize it's there, but it's just a great little
1: app that solves a problem that you know. I, I have a magnifying glass in my desk drawer, but I use the magnifier on my iPhone way more because it's always in my pocket. No matter where I'm at, I can I can read the tiny text. I've used it in restaurants sometimes, like if I'm in a dark restaurant. And boy, do I feel old when I do that. I'll tell you, you know, but, uh, but I, I'd rather do that than ask the waitress to read it to me <laughs> back, when, <laughs> back when we went to restaurants, you know? Yeah. That's really when you feel old. I yeah, know. I know. But I mean, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's sometimes like they have low contrast type in a dark room and I'm like, oh, I just can't read it. I put my glasses on. I still can't read it. But the, uh, so magnifier, it works. Um, so that's something you can use a related pick even kind of sadder for me, is, is text size. But the, the text size app. So um, I don't really need to turn the text size up on the phone. My eyes are good enough. I can generally see it. Uh, but occasionally, there'll be an app that that makes weird choices. And there's a text size slider, so you can slide it up and make it really easy. Um, screen recording, I find really useful as a Max Sparky guy. Because I a lot of times, I'm beta testing apps for friends or or developers, and if I run into something crazy, um, there's a built-in screencasting tool in every iPhone and iPad. You just tap it, it runs a, a recording of the screen and the microphone. So I can re- you know, duplicate a bug I see or something I don't like about the app and I can send them a short little video showing them, which is way more helpful. I also use that in the field guides on occasion. I don't actually use that as my main recording mechanism. I'd rather have a wire and get a higher resolution. But, the um, but you know, when I get into Jam, like when I did the iPhone field guide and I had to show you how to use the navigation uh, apps, I I had to use the screen recorder for that. But I, I think anybody can find a use for it. I, I also think it's nice when I have, like, relatives who are not necessarily super techie and they want to do something on their iPhone or the iPad. Um, talking to them on the phone like press general no general first settings Then general you know you notice how your your voice gets louder as you get more angry as you're trying to talk them through it um, just make a video and send it to them and then they can figure it out on their own
0: i really love how you can customize the order of them too so like i said i've got camera and flashlight actually kind of where they are on the lock screen so just sort of have that muscle memory yeah it's it's great and I wish that the we're a little off topic now. I wish the MAC control center had more of this. And I think it will over time. Yeah. But also, like you said, I wish that third parties could just like they do in shortcuts, they could offer support for control center. So if I didn't want to launch calculator, but I wanted to launch launch PCalc, or instead of launching home, you know, one of the third party home kit apps, I think that would be really nice.
1: I totally agree. I feel like that is low hanging fruit. And uh, especially with all of the regulatory problems Apple is facing, this would be an easy win for them to say, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, third party apps can also access our control center. So it's not just Apple apps. And that's right. All all that would be really take would be um, to give the app developers access and they could even put a separate section. So you'd have the native apps and then below that you'd have a separate section, just like you have with the Today View screen. Currently, where you can hit the little plus button and add it. I mean, I feel like that code is nearly written. They just need to implement it for Control Center. And then I guess the third-party apps would have to submit a a um, an artwork for the Control Center button because it really shouldn't be the icon. It should be, I think, the kind of the black and white monochrome look mm-hmm. of Control Center. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised to find that something that we get this year. I mean, a, a combination of ease of implementation plus uh, regulatory oversight <laughs> I think this is this is one that it shouldn't shock us to find that we can launch pcalc uh, at the end of this year it'd be great yeah and, and just think how much you know how much more you could do because like someone like me who doesn't have any apps anymore on his home screen I just run all widgets it'd be great to be able to add a couple apps just through that control center
0: one of the control center I don't know, components you can turn on is a remote. So you can yes. manage or control an Apple TV. This this has changed a lot over the years. There used to be like an iTunes remote app. and Then there was a remote app for the Apple TV. And now it's just built in. So you don't need the remote app anymore to do this. And I use this all the time because I live in a house with three children. And very often my Apple TV remote is nowhere to be found. And so I can just pull my phone out and and it's it's actually easier to use in the Siri remote in some, in some ways. And it's great.
1: Yeah, it's Let me put your mind brilliant. at ease. My children live with me now and they're grown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just so you understand, nothing will ever change. They could be <laughs> in their 20s. <laughs> it's still missing. And I, I bought a special, in fact, I'll put a link in the show notes. I bought a cool little Apple TV remote cover it's a rubber cover so when you drop it it doesn't break but it has magnets in it and so you can stick it to the refrigerator or in the case of our living room tv it literally sticks to the frame of the tv The very easy place to find the remote in my house if i'm using the tv i walk up to the tv and i stick it to the side you know my children however they they're not so serious about putting it back and uh But this remote app, I really feel like this is a separate tip. I think so many people aren't aware of it. But if you've got Apple TV in your house, you can fully control it with your iPhone and even your Apple Watch. Maybe someday we'll do one of these on the Apple Watch. But the the remote app, and you put it in Control Center, it's just always sitting there waiting for you. So you don't have to take up a valuable app slot for it. But once you click on it, it actually gives you a selection of the Apple TVs in your house. I have more than one, so I can choose between them. And then I can con- fully control the interface right there. Um, I can click back, I can hit the menu button, I can I can swipe right, right and left and just the same thing. If if the TV remote has gone, you know, a wall on me, I'll just sit there and control the TV with the uh with the remote. The only downside to it is you can't control volume on my TV because my TV, the volume control isn't controllable by the Apple TV. Oh yeah. If somebody knows a way to do that without me having to buy something like another, you know, there's like these universal remotes and stuff. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But if somebody knows a trick around that, I'd love to hear about it. And we'll talk about it in feedback. But you can't control volume. So as the cranky old man who uses the magnifier in restaurants, (laughs) the other thing I do is I just leave the volume where it is. I don't care how loud it is. And uh, when they come down and say, why is the TV so loud? I'm like, because you didn't put the remote back. (laughs) (laughs) consequences baby
0: that's right meanwhile mine does control the tv volume even oh. when the apple tv isn't the input and i have no idea why <laughs> so oh really I, I don't know maybe at some point i told it to do that i i don't know and I and it's to persisted look into this. between apple yeah. tvs it's very strange
1: uh maybe there's something i'm missing i need to look into this but anyway that remote is awesome and uh and it's a perfect fit for control center because you don't really want to put that on your dock or in your home screen. But no, if you're sitting there, you know, watching TV, you're good. What, what are you watching on TV right now? Steven?
0: Uh, my wife and I are working our way through Brooklyn nine, nine, which is all right, hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, individually, I am about halfway through season two of the Mandalorian.
1: I am proud of you. I'm proud of yep. you man. I'm getting there. Yeah, we're watching Dickinson. They got a new season of it. So oh,
0: nice. Yeah. Um. Either way, uh, Apple TV remote. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna jump back to the share sheet for a second, and my okay. my beloved options button. And I, I hadn't even thought about this until I used it last week. I thought, oh gosh, this this needs to be in the show. Yeah. So that options button gives you lots of control over how you share your photos, but it also gives you a bunch of choices when you share a URL from Safari via the share sheet. So you can just have it set to automatic, so it just shares the link, but you can also share a web page as a PDF or even a web archive. So why would you maybe want to do this? Uh, for me, uh, it has come up trying to share things maybe behind a paywall and I want to share an article with somebody and, you know, they can't log in and read it or wanting to share something maybe uh, not necessarily via text message, but maybe I want to share a PDF or something to craft or something like that just gives you more, more control. And an even cooler trick is if you have Safari in reader mode, so say that you're reading an article and you have it in reader mode, and then you go share it, and you share a PDF. The PDF will contain that stripped-down formatting because very often when you print a web page to a PDF, it looks janky, right? It can be really hard to read, especially if you're sending it and they, the other person, happens to be on their phone at the time. So that reader PDF is a really nice way to be able to share the contents of an article, really easy to read on the phone, and that's uh, that's something that I do not all the time, but when I need it is really helpful.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. I have a couple of small ones um, uh, what, that are kind of buried settings. I don't think many people are aware of. One of them is, you know how app developers want you to give them feedback and they have a pop-up that says, hey, rate my app, blah, blah, blah. And you just don't want the distraction. It seems like those always show up at the worst times. Um There's a settings for that. If you go into iPhone settings, iTunes, and App Store, there's a toggle there to switch off app ratings and reviews. You turn that off, you stop getting bugged.
0: Wow. I didn't know that was there.
1: Yeah. And a similar one is, uh, I think we just, was it you or somebody recently on a show was saying how if they don't recognize a phone number, they just don't answer the call. Yeah, that's me. Uh, (laughs) uh, And um, there's a setting for that too. If you go to settings, uh, phone, you can say uh, "silence unknown callers" and then you just don't see those calls when they come in.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good trick. I mean, you can use that, or you can use a like a Nomo Robo or something like that, an app that tries to weed them out. Or you can use use both, I guess, if you wanted to. But yeah, this showed up, I think, in iOS 13, and it's it's a good addition if you like me get a lot of spam calls. Here's another one, uh, you
1: know, in, um on the Mac on Spotlight, you can do calculations like you can say you can just type in numbers and do a calculation in Spotlight. Um, I don't think most people realize you can do the same thing in the search bar on the iPhone. So you don't even have to open a calculator app for simple uh, calculations. Just open the Mac swipe to the right. And there's a search bar there at the top of what used to be the Today View screen. And if you type in a calculation there, it'll do it for you.
0: Yeah, that's great on the Mac and having something just really quick. I mean, it's kind of like having, you know, a scratch pad or the back of the napkin just on your iPhone or iPad.
1: You talked earlier about um, how you set up your icons to make it easy to take pictures. Um, I thought it'd be fun to just go through all the ways we know to initiate camera and to trigger the shutter.
0: Oh boy. There's a bunch of them.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to get them all. We're just going off the top of our head here. I just dropped this one on Steven.
0: So (laughs) so first thing is you
1: turn on your phone. There is a phone icon there. If you press on that for more than a second, it just opens straight to the phone. Uh, You also, if you swipe to the direction that the phone is, it goes straight into the phone viewfinder. Control center. We covered that one.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, you can use control center. Um, And it, like the icon on the home screen if you long press you can jump straight to photo a video or selfie so you can get to a couple of those different modes really quickly
1: yeah and once you've got the camera open you can also um you can take a picture obviously by tapping the shutter button But if you've got it, like let's say you're trying to take something very still, you can attach a wired headphone and take a picture with the volume up and volume down button on the wired headphone. Um, You can also take a picture with the volume up button on the phone. So if you're like holding it up like a traditional camera and you don't want to have to try and get your finger on the screen to the exact place that the button is, you can press it, you can trigger the shutter that way. And then you can also. take video and and with there's a separate mode i forget the name of it where it takes a bunch of pictures at at once um shutter mode fast shutter mode what is that called
0: yes fast uh, mm. yeah
1: burst mode burst mode that's it which is really and and they they've kind of changed that a little bit you've got to um you've got to hit the button and swipe to the left for burst mode And that's really useful if you've got little kids because they don't smile necessarily at the moment you press the shutter. But if you take 30 pictures over the course of a couple seconds, one of them will be good. What are the other ways we can trigger the shutter that we haven't covered? So many ways, guys.
0: Yeah. Well, you can tell Siri to open the camera and it will launch the camera wherever you are. I don't think it can actually take a photo for you, but it can get you into the, the camera app at least.
1: Uh, one which requires additional hardware is the apple watch there's a camera app on the apple watch and you can trigger the timer like we took our christmas pictures this year it was we we didn't have anybody at our house you know pandemic etc and um so we set up a tripod and i just used my apple watch to trigger the timer and it was a three second timer so we didn't get a christmas picture of me pressing my apple watch <laughs> and um
0: it looked great and, and i got it, one also, it,
1: was, it was fantastic yeah it, and it gives you a um, preview too, like it, on the watch. It should, so at least it's not a great preview; it's a tiny screen, but you can actually actually make sure everybody's in frame. You know, I think that's it. I'm sure uh, the the um, the forum is going to have like ten ways we missed, but there, Apple makes it really easy to take pictures with the iPhone for good reason.
0: Yeah, most people make way fewer phone calls and they take pictures on their iPhones. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by DevonThink. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now by going to devontechnologies.com slash MPU. DevonThink is the flagship product from Devon Technologies. It's the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all of your documents, snippets, bookmarks, PDFs, et cetera, and then working with them. Because DevonThink isn't just a big file cabinet. It is a smart set of tools. Its integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language and advanced Boolean operators make it easy to find what you're looking for. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over your local network. With everything securely encrypted, this gives you the choice for whatever syncing works best for you. I have mine all on Dropbox, but there's lots of other options. It has smart rules and flexible reminders, lets you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. Let DevonThink automatically organize your data with rules you define. As you may expect, DevonThink supports AppleScript, but its AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the platform. There's no part of DevonThink for the Mac that can't be automated. You can extend its functionality with your own commands by adding them to its scripts menu. Even templates can have scripts inside them, and you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript. Of course, there's so much more, from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server to share your data securely with your team. I use DevonThink to house all of my uh, Mac and tech history documents. Gang, it's tens of thousands of files. And it's PDFs and images and web archives and a bunch of plain text. And the search really is incredible. Not, Not only is it very powerful, but it is really, really fast. I can search for something across all of these different files and get my results in just seconds. So if you need a tool to manage a bunch of document and data in your life, DevonThink is where you should look. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now by going to devontechnologies.com slash MPU. That's devontechnologies.com slash MPU for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for the support of the show and Relay FM.
1: Hey, you know, one of the things you can do with your iPhone that I think a lot of people don't realize is measure. And we've never brought this up on the show, but as the the iPhones have got better with the LiDAR scanners and some of the the more recent technology, this measure app that Apple includes on the iPhone is actually useful. And so the way that works is you open up the app and it does like the spinning circle with a dot in the middle. And you point it at one thing and then you point it at another thing And it gives you a fairly accurate measurement. Now, I don't think I'd use this to measure, you know, the cut for the marble that you're going to install in your bathroom. But, you know, just for rough measurements, I find it actually pretty useful. And it's just like the magnification thing. It just shows up all the time for, you know, ways to figure things out. Like if I'm going to make a shelf for my daughter's room, I'll point at the wall just to begin to figure out what I'm working with. Do You ever use that app?
0: I do, and it's great for measuring things that would be difficult to get to with a tape measure. So one use that I have done several times is I've been slowly expanding my Ethernet network at home, and yeah. being able to eyeball okay, I'm gonna be from this point in the attic over to this wall, and being able to make those measurements. Again, it's not I'm not gonna cut drywall for for, for that ceiling yeah. <laughs> based on this but it gives me an idea of how much cable I need. That sort of thing is is really fantastic and really shows off, I think, how good Apple's AR has gotten over the years because Measure has been around for a little while, but it is so good, so good on modern iPhones. It, it really feels like the future to me.
1: And just as an example, as we're sitting here, I pointed it from two feet away to my um, iPad Pro screen, which has a 12.9 screen, as Apple keeps telling us. And it gave me a 13 inch measurement, you know. Uh, so it's not perfect, but it's very good. and And just having this in your pocket is quite useful. I I have this weird um, thing I do whenever I'm bored in a strange place is I try to figure out the dimensions of the room. And uh, I don't think I've ever publicly admitted this fixation I have, but like, especially like dentist office or whatever, right? And Usually I calculate it based on ceiling tiles because I know the dimensions of ceiling tiles because I do a lot of construction law. <laughs> but, the, uh, but, yeah, this has changed my game, man. Now I can get very accurate measurements when I need to know the dimensions of the room I'm sitting in.
0: That's a very weird thing.
1: Yeah, I know. There's a, I have a lot of hangups, man. I don't know okay. what to say. <laughs> uh,
0: you can also use your iPhone as a level which is a, another feature that's been around for quite a while. It's now in the measure app. This is one that I definitely use all the time for hanging something or just making adjustments somewhere. It is really good.
1: Yeah. And it's, it is definitely close enough. I feel like it's just as accurate as a bubble level. And, um and uh, I use it all the time too, because it's, it's in your pocket. One of the things that I, um, I think another another obvious feature that a bunch of you are going to say, duh, too, but a few of you are going to be, have your mind blown is moving the cursor on the iPhone. They started out with the idea that you tap on the screen and you'd kind of hold it and it would magnify. And it, it was a good first effort, but a much more accurate way to move the cursor when you're working with text on the iPhone is you long press the space bar and then start moving your finger. And it's like moving the cursor on the screen. And I think they added this two or three years ago, but I, you know, I sometimes forget it's there because I don't edit that much text on my iPhone, but every time I re I re, you know, discover it, I'm just amazed by how useful that is.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great and way better than just stabbing your finger at text and hoping, (laughs) hoping you end up in the right place. One that, that I use all the time as well is multi select. So now on the Mac, you can select the first item and hold down the Shift key and select the last item in a list or in photos or wherever, and everything in between would be selected. A version of that lives on iOS and iPadOS. I use it most in Mail to select multiple email messages, but it also works in message threads and a lot of other apps that use the standard list view and list controller. And it is to have two fingers and then you hold and then drag those two fingers down to the last one you want selected. And what will happen is the list will go into edit mode. You get little check marks down the side of mail. And you can just drag with two fingers, and it will select the emails under your fingers until you stop. And then all of those are selected. So I can archive all those at once or delete them all at once or whatever I need to do. This is something that uh, I get. So our hosting provider for Relay Shows is Lipson. And they send a lot of, not a lot, but sometimes they send, you know, press type PR type emails. And of course, we get them to all of our accounts, which is like 30 something Lipson accounts. And deleting those one by one or archiving them one by one on my phone would be terrible. But this makes it really quickly. I can two finger hold and drag and select them all and get rid of them in just a second.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time I use a third party app and they don't support this feature because... Uh, developers can add this gesture to their list view um, my heart breaks just a little bit i mean I, I feel like this should just be universal for every app uh, another one that's relatively new is a face id for multiple people uh, apple just added this i believe it is it iphone 12 or is it iphone 11 2 i think maybe iphone 11 supports it as well um but you can add multiple faces to your face ID. And like my wife and I, uh, we don't care, right? If Because occasionally I need to do something on her phone or she wants to get on my phone to get the pictures. And adding multiple faces is now a thing. And I think people don't realize that.
0: Now, is this like officially OK2 okay faces or is it using the alternate uh, appearance? Alternate appearance. Alternate That's how appearance. I do it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It works.
0: Yeah, I need to try this because I've heard people say this and it would be great just the other evening. I need to do something on my wife's iPhone 12 mini and her work email requires a six digit pin. And because I don't go anywhere and when I do, I'm wearing a a mask as is she. Anyways, I sent my phone to a four digit pin during the pandemic, which I know is less secure, but it's easier to live with. And I was like, oh, what is her six digit pin? I had to like stop and think about it for a second. Like, oh, be nice if I could just touch ID my way into this, but I need to check this out and see if this would work for us.
1: Maybe it's just because we've been married so long that we're starting to look like each other. I don't mm. know.
0: <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> another another one, when I did the paperless field guide, I covered this. Um, there's a lot of great scanning apps out there. Um, but if you only need to scan a document once in a blue moon um apple notes has a really good scanner in it for scanning documents and it's not all that great in terms of like organizing them it doesn't have all the the features that a dedicated document scanner has but if you open the apple notes app at the plus button you can scan a document one of the things that the apple version does very well is setting perspective so if you're laying the document on the table and shooting at an angle it straightens it out very nicely but like i said if you don't scan very often you really don't need to buy an app. This is good enough.
0: Yeah, it's it really is fancy in in, in the sense that you get the controls over, okay, I need to crop out the background and you can sign stuff. But yeah, if if you're doing a lot of scanning, those apps make it easier and faster, but this is pretty cool for being for free.
1: Yeah. Uh, You want to take a minute to talk about some of the iPad software-specific stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, I think the biggest thing that separates the two is the, the multitasking, right? I think you've got several, several things in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the ability to have slide over and split screen uh, increases the ability to use a bunch of the built-in features. Um, So first of all, a drag and drop is a thing that I think people forget about. And it's particularly useful when you've got two apps open and I always recommend if you want to kind of experiment with this, open the Apple Notes app because I feel like that isn't internally at Apple the test ground for any drag-and-drop media because it seems like everything goes into Notes. But you'd be surprised what you can drag-and-drop. Like you can drag-and-drop calendar events or emails or, you know, text, or link or even pictures. So uh, you just grab one, you know, hold on it long enough to to lift off the page and drag it over. Now, I use this uh, quite a few different ways. Um, uh, email links are one of the most useful. Like, I often get an email, and I want to follow up on it with OmniFocus later. So if I have the OmniFocus inbox on the right side and Apple Mail on the left side, I, and this also works with third-party mail apps, I can just drag and drop the email in. Uh, with Apple Mail, the type of link it creates can also be read on the Mac. So if you have Apple Mail on your Mac too. And you open OmniFocus, you click the link, it jumps you to the email. Even if you move the email to the archive or put it somewhere else, it's, that link follows the trail. And uh, I find that a very useful tip. Uh, it's not nearly so easy on the iPhone to do something like that. But with uh, an iPad, because you've got drag and drop, it's a, it's a possibility.
0: This is definitely something uh, in iPad OS that I feel like I don't use enough. I'm not a big drag and dropper on the iPad, and I know it it unlocks so many cool things, but it's never really stuck with me. I need to spend some time with this.
1: So if you want to get better at drag and drop, there's an app I want you to get. It's called Yoink, and it's been around forever. Yoink is um, on the iPhone, iPad, and Mac. It's a shelf app, you know, and by that, I mean it's an app that you have to put things on. on. On your Mac, a lot of people treat the desktop as a shelf, right? You have uh, a picture that you want to add to a document you're going to make. And you just put the picture on the desktop temporarily. You write the document, and then you just grab it from the desktop and drop it in on the uh, the document. Uh, there isn't a space like that on the iPad and iPhone. There's no shelf. you know. There's no desktop that you can save things to. And uh, I always felt like Apple should should put a shelf in. Federico, I think, even made a video on it at one point, how he thought <laughs> they could build it into the operating system, but they haven't. And uh, I'm not sure they ever will. Uh, but there's a rich assortment of third-party shelf apps. And I've tried a lot of them over the years. And the one I keep coming back to is Yoink. Um, it's particularly good, I think, on iPhone and iPad where you can uh, use it. And this is a perfect slide over app. So I'm going to combine two tips here. Number okay. one, get Yoink. Number two, use slideover. Slide over is like one of the best features on the iPad, you know, where you can pull. It's like it is the uh, every sci-fi show you've ever seen where they swipe data in and swipe it off the screen. You can do that on your iPad. And like I do all sorts of things with that with that slide over. But um, Yoink is a great example of it. So I'm looking at a web page and I grab a link and I drag it. I slide over Yoink. I drop the link on Yoink and now it's on the shelf. I can do the same thing with artwork or whatever. And so I've collected all this stuff on my shelf. Then when I go to my app to write a blog post or send an email or write a document, I can then slide Yoink back on the screen and then I'll have the shelf there and I can drag the image right off Yoink and drop it into my document. And there's just not a better way to do something like that on the iPad than to have a shelf. I'm really kind of amazed Apple has never, you know, really fully adopted that because I think there's a lot of users that don't realize you know these apps exist.
0: Yeah, Yoink really is really is great, and they are a sponsor of my blog. But I, they've been around a long time. I've used them for a long time. One of my favorite things in it is you can use Yoink to download something and just have like the file reside there, and it's just a, a place to put things temporarily as you're as you're working on something. And and while that's awesome, where for me SlideOver really becomes powerful is the ability to have. Multiple applications in slide over at once. So I may be working in a text editor, you know, full screen, but then I I may have Twitter and messages open in slide over, and I could switch between them and answer a text message, and then make it go away and go back to my writing. And the I think my only complaint would be the mechanism to uh, to switch between them is a, is a little bit. Complicated, like you have to swipe between them, and then you can get rid of them. It's like a smaller version of multitasking inside of multitasking. But once you get the hang of the gestures, having multiple apps there, it it means you have even more opportunity to for those little side apps to to be useful while you're doing your main work.
1: Yeah, some of the apps I use with SlideOver quite often. Um, OmniFocus is almost always in SlideOver for me because I don't spend time like managing OmniFocus while I'm working. But I do have perspectives that will show me a list of things I'm going to do as Max Sparky or as a lawyer. And I can just have those perspectives in OmniFocus, slide over, kind of get marching orders and slide it off the screen and go to work. And that's very useful. Um, When I'm taking notes on research, I usually have a Ulysses or a drafts window there. Um, Drafts and slide over is golden because drafts has great voice to text dictation support. So you can like... I read contracts, so I'll write a contract, I'll slide in and dictate notes on it, and then slide it off, and then have the full iPad screen again for the contract. It's just really useful for stuff like that. But yeah, you slide over, check out, yoink, get a shelf. Uh, Another thing on the iPad that I think a lot of people um, need to kind of wrap their head around are all the things you can do around keyboards with the iPad. Um, I, I guess starting with, you can attach a keyboard, you know, which is pretty <laughs> useful, right? You know I mean? You know, to have it feel more like a laptop when you need it to. And like, if you're a touch typist, having a, an attached keyboard, you just can't beat that for, t- you know, it's way better than typing on glass, at least for me.
0: Yeah. And one of my favorite things Apple's done in this is the ability to treat your physical and on-screen keyboards differently. So for instance, I want autocorrect on. On a virtual keyboard, but I want it off on a hardware keyboard and you can go into the keyboard settings. select the hardware keyboards and say, you know, I don't want autocorrect on. I want it off for hardware keyboards and it leaves your other settings for the virtual keyboard uh, the same. And so that has really allowed me to make the iPad hardware keyboard work the way I want my Mac keyboard to work. I don't want autocorrecting those things there. And if you find yourself being a little frustrated with that sort of thing, those keyboard settings have quite a few things you can change and tweak to make it closer to what you want.
1: And then for the on-screen keyboard, there are some tricks to that too. Now, I think there's two kinds of people. There are people who have no problem typing on glass. And uh, like when we had Fraser Spears on, he was talking about how the students at his school, at his iPad school, would – would get keyboards, but eventually just stop using them because they felt more comfortable typing on glass. That's never been me because I'm a touch typist. And you know, you give me a keyboard and I can really crank words into it. And I can never match that speed on the iPad. Um, In that case, if you don't want that big full screen keyboard on your iPad, and you want something more akin to a, a thumb keyboard like you have on an iPhone, that's an option. So when you've got the keyboard displayed, on the right side, there's a little button that looks like a keyboard. If you hold on that, then uh, another button shows up that says Float or Floating. And you tap on that, and it shrinks the keyboard down to like an iphone size keyboard uh, that you can move around your screen. Um, Apple's done a few different iterations over this year. At one point, they had it where you could split the keyboard, so you'd have one half on each of the screen. And uh, this, this Floating thing is the newest iteration of it. Um I know people that do like that over the the full on screen keyboard cuz it gives them a way to type without taking up so much area on the screen.
0: Especially if you have a small iPad, bringing that yeah. little keyboard in like on my beloved iPad Mini is really great.
1: I, I feel like the screen keyboard, uh we've said we've talked about this already, but the iPad Mini one of the best features is to put it in portrait mode and type with your thumbs. It's just so much, it's so much faster than any of the iPads in terms of of glass typing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the third party keyboards. Uh, This isn't really that much of a tip. People know this stuff exists already, but I thought while we're on the topic, are you using any third party keyboards? Uh,
0: Text expander. So I can have my snippets and applications that don't support them natively.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, The other one I use is Grammarly. Uh, Grammarly has an app. I have a Grammarly subscription. And um, so I can be in any app that I write in and, get the Grammarly keyboard, and it'll do a grammar check of my document with some really powerful grammar tools. Um, So I like that, too. Yoink has a keyboard, too, although I don't use it.
0: Gboard is another popular one. I've used it on the iPhone before. It puts Google Search and a bunch of other stuff really handy, but it is Google. Some people don't feel comfortable with that. But their iPad version is, is decent, but most of the time, honestly, my iPad has a hardware keyboard attached to it. So I don't I don't use the software keyboard all that often. This episode of the Mac
1: Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or even make the next great blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your next great idea. My daughter, as part of her senior project, was required to build a website to show off her skills. I thought it was a great assignment from her professor, you know, as he knew these kids were going to be going out to the workforce. Um, So we made a Squarespace website. It was great. We got the website set up. I had bought her name as a domain when she was very young, and we finally used it. And we put together this great website. We were able to move the existing domain to Squarespace with no trouble at all. She spent a couple hours building the website. I I the beautiful thing about it is I had nothing to do with it other than getting the domain moved for her and paying the bill. That's it. And she made a great website and she's already, you know, getting contacts from people that are really interested in the stuff she has to offer because her, her website is kind of a combination of a bunch of things, but it looks amazing. And it's all done through Squarespace. I did the thing, same thing with Max Sparky. I don't know. It, it has to be over five years ago now because I was just tired of having my website get hacked or going down for things I didn't know about. Uh, Squarespace has been rock solid for me. And it can be for you too, with plans starting at just $12 a month but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of relay FM Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website.
0: So let's close out with some hardware tips for the iPhone and iPad. Okay. Uh, One that that I put in here because I never remember how this goes, but on a Face ID equipped iPhone, restarting it is, is relatively straightforward. You press the side button and then the volume button, any volume button and hold and you get that. Uh, that menu where it says shut off and that sort of thing. But force restarting is one I couldn't ever remember. So if a a phone is frozen or is non-responsive, to force restart it, you press and quickly release the volume up button and then press and quickly release the volume down button and then press and hold the side button until the Apple logo shows up. I don't know why this is so complicated. The timing of it seems very sensitive to getting it right but it is something that I can never remember the order but it's volume up volume down then hold the side button
1: now how is this the same reset that we used to get by just holding down the home button for like 15 seconds
0: you used to be able to do it by pressing and holding sleep the sleep wake button and the home button at the same time okay so you'd press and hold them both so does the same force restart I mean it forcibly restarts the hardware but you got to remember the right incantation
1: it feels very precarious
0: it is
1: (laughs) it really is i i think one of the things um the tips on the iphone is cleaning it i i think that's something that we should at least take a few minutes to discuss
0: yeah apple has whole support documents about how to clean your iphone and ipad i'll put the iphone one in the show notes. When this comes up for me is when I go to take a picture and it looks hazy. It's very often because I have something on the lens. It's like, okay, wipe off the lens and then take the picture. But uh, Apple has this this great document about this. You can use 70% uh, isopropyl alcohol wipes or things like Clorox disinfecting wipes. They say not to use bleach. Don't submerge your iPhone in a sink of cleaning product. But... You know, this day and age, it's important to make sure your stuff is as, as clean as possible. You can use lint-free cloths. Um, you can use uh, warm, soapy water if you need to. I know on an iPhone 11 or 12, uh, older phones that are less water-resistant, you got to be obviously a lot more careful with the liquid. But one thing to remember is that that um, oleophobic coating on the screens of our iPhones and iPads that help keep fingerprints and finger grease off the off the phones. Cleaning products or abrasive materials can wear that down and even scratch the display. So, if you have something on your display, you want to be a little careful. I would just use a cloth, maybe a slightly damp cloth. But don't necessarily go nuts if there's, you know, spaghetti sauce hardened on your iPhone screen.
1: Yeah, we and I think the most important thing is really the lenses. Um Daisy and I were looking at some pictures we took of the family recently and her phone is a few years older than mine. She's like, "I just can't get over how much better your pictures are." So I started looking at her pictures and they were really like fuzzy and washed out and and I just took her phone and wiped my t-shirt on it. And suddenly it took much better pictures. So somehow she had managed to get I don't know, maybe some makeup or something smudged on the lenses. And I think that's something a lot of people don't think about, you know. If you're about to take a bunch of family pictures, literally just wipe the lens on your t-shirt and that might be enough to to improve the quality.
0: What a concept.
1: Is that bad advice? I don't know. Maybe you're not supposed to use your T-shirt, but I do all the time.
0: I mean, I think Apple would say use a light cloth, but the, the cameras do have that sapphire coating on them, so they're really hard. I've definitely done it for years, and it's been fine.
1: Yeah. And like cotton, like a T-shirt is cotton as opposed to like a scratchy fabric. Mm -hmm. um one thing you have to be careful if you're wiping it with a t-shirt and it's got a lot of smudge on it you're going to end up getting light streaks if you just you know wipe in one direction and it really is dirty um you know what i mean like if there's a light bulb in it it's going to have a line going off of it yeah so that might be a clean a lens cleaning issue you may need to get out bigger guns if you're Mm -hmm. still having that problem um, another thing with the iPhone hardware that I think a lot of people uh, don't note or don't track is just storage management. You know, um, we'll put the support article in the, uh, in the links, but uh, you pay attention to your storage. Not only your onboard storage of your phone, which thankfully is a lot easier problem now than it used to be. Apple's finally shipping phones with, you know, enough storage on them, but also your iCloud storage. And that's right in the settings. They've got a nice graph. It takes a few seconds to build the graph for you when you open it. it I guess it does the polling right then. But um, that is something to be aware of. And like I'm always tracking that two gigabytes for the family sharing plan because we're, you know, as we're, we're inching towards it with all of us taking lots of pictures, um, I, I think there's actually a way now you can upgrade that to a higher storage, but um, we're not there yet. But that is something I check pretty regularly.
0: Yeah, it used to be a little bit of a of a mystery and Apple's really made that that easier. And I like that it's now basically a top level thing in settings. You just have to really drill down to find it. And now it's much easier.
1: Yeah. And it also kind of gives you a degree of app shaming. You see the apps that are taking a lot of space or mm-hmm. and uh and it, you know, maybe some dumb game that you downloaded a year ago and only played once, you'll find is taking up a massive amount of space on your phone. Uh that's that's the screen where you'll find that.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about chargers. All right. It used to be really easy. Your yeah. iPhone came with a charger in the box, and that's the charger you used, but it doesn't come with a charger anymore. And there are a bunch of different chargers, and we have wireless charging. Really, what we're talking about here is the, the wattage of the adapter, and a rough rule is the higher the wattage, the faster the phone will charge. You've got uh, wireless charging on a bunch of phones now starting with the iphone 8 and 10 uh that that wireless chi charging is 7.5 watts it it was 5 originally and then it was bumped to 7.5 later on and that is not super fast but if you're charging overnight it's more than adequate or you're just you know it's on your desk during the day and just trickle charging that's fine
1: yeah and just for context that wall wart that they sold forever it was a five watt. Five watts, yeah. 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 The
0: one they gave you for free for <laughs> fourteen years or whatever, yeah, yeah it was little little baby five watt one. So the Qi wireless charging at seven point five MagSafe if it's like an official MagSafe compatible charger from Apple or a third party, and not all of them that have magnets are MagSafe compatible. You got to read the fine print. But MagSafe is at fifteen watts on the iPhone. 12 12 pro and 12 pro max the 12 mini is limited to just 12 watts but that's still faster than the 7.5 with regular wireless charging and you know i've noticed that because I, I i have switched out my chi chargers on my desk and my nightstand with magsafe chargers and it definitely is faster and that's been that's been nice
1: but there's an asterisk there because when you buy the magsafe adapter it doesn't come with the charger the actual thing you plug it into and you know, like you can if you plug the magsafe into the old wall war the 5 watt wall you're not going to get 15 watts into no. your mac or into your device
0: no you're not the magsafe puck that apple sells i think recommends the 20 watt charger uh, even the 18 watt charger is not fast enough for it if you're not using wireless charging not using magsafe and you're using you know good old lightning cable uh, you have a lot of options for fast charging. Uh, this is fantastic for especially when you're traveling or you've had a busy day, you just need to top your phone off quickly. An iPhone 8 or higher can charge uh, 50% of the battery in a half an hour or so. And Apple over the years has sold a lot of these USB C power adapters. So, The wall wart is USB-C, and then you have a USB-C to lightning cable. Those have ranged from 18-watt, 20-watt, 29-watt, and then you get into the ones used with the MacBooks and MacBook Pros, so 30-watt, 61, 87, 96. You can use your MacBook Pro charger to charge your iPhone. It's still going to cap it. It's not going to shove power in at 96 watts, but it will still fast charge it. The only one, and we mentioned this a second ago, that's a little weird compared to the rest of the list is that 18-watt charger, which they don't even sell anymore, I don't think. It's been replaced with the 20-watt. You need the 20-watt to fast charge the iPhone 12 or to use MagSafe. So if you have an 18-watt charger, you manage to pick one of those up, it is not as compatible as some of the others. Um, So for me, I've got several of these 20 watts. that's what I have in my backpack now, that's what's charging my MagSafe pucks. And then, of course, I can always use the one that came with my MacBook Pro if I need to.
1: Now, maybe this is—I know there's been some controversy as to like third-party chargers. Let's say you've got a third-party 60-watt charger. Will that charge the MagSafe at the full 15 watts?
0: It uh, it should, as long as it supports USB power delivery, which is just a certification for USB-C chargers that. Um, says it's above a certain wattage, so anything yeah. that you buy that's reputable should be just fine. You know, if you're buying from Anchor or or one of those companies that they make chargers, they'll tell you around the packaging, around the product page, what it's capable of doing. But you don't necessarily have to have an Apple charger.
1: Yeah, well, my iPad Pro charger was the 18 watt charger. So yeah, I know <laughs> it, it. It is frustrating, but I refuse to like buy. I'm not going to buy an, an extra two watt charger, whatever, you know? And, and I guess the point is if you charge your phone on your bedside table, you probably could get away with a five watt charger because, you know, unless you only sleep two hours, you're going to, you're going to be there long enough for it to charge no matter how slow you drip it in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's what we did for a long, long time. So, but it it is nice to have a fast charger, even if it's just in your travel bag and you know, you got to top off when you're on the road. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to me to see if they, you know, there's a lot of rumors that they're going to remove the lightning port. And, you know, the best use for it in my case is usually when I'm traveling, I want a fast charge about to get on a plane or just got off a plane, something like that. Uh, It'll be curious to see if they find some way to find a wireless charging that gets you above 15 watts. Mm -hmm. That'd be a good way to answer that problem, you know, say, okay, but you, you know,
0: yeah, Here's Max. Stick
1: says. it on this thing. Yeah, you know, stick it on this supercharger and it's going to get you 30 watts or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it doesn't need to be 60, you know, it just needs to be faster. Some additional uh, iPad hardware tips. I just got an email recently from a listener who said his keyboard stopped working and it was out of warranty. And I wrote him back and I said, disconnect your iPad and reconnect it because it was just like two keys weren't working. And they wrote me back and said, oh, yeah, it's working now. Thanks. But I, I find that a thing once in a while when you have even the Apple connected keyboard, sometimes things just get a little wonky and disconnecting, and by disconnecting, I mean literally just pulling the iPad off and sticking it back on is enough to fix it.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's the age old turn it off and turn it back on again. Yeah. But you had some ideas as well. Yeah, there are times where that is not enough that maybe you do that or you even restart the iPad and the keyboard still isn't seen. Uh, a couple of things to do uh, to make sure that those those contacts on the smart connector are clean, you can use compressed air, or you can even try cleaning the contacts. And again, Apple has a document on how to do that. Uh, they recommend, again, a slightly damp, lint-free cloth. Um, not You don't want to spray bleach on that thing, um, but you want to make sure those contacts don't have any debris on them. and. In my experience, having uh, this issue before, if it is debris, it's usually really obvious that oh, something just made its way in there, and I can just blow it off and it's fine again.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny how often just the uh, the connection point is the point of failure with this stuff. Recently, my AirPods stopped working, and I'm like, oh no, you know. And, uh, and then I noticed that if I put them on a Qi charger, they would charge. And what had happened was there was some lint from my pocket. Just enough got in that lightning port. Uh, There was enough that I could click it in to a lightning plug, but there was just enough in there that it, it prevented the connection. And I just took a little pick and pulled out a piece of lint, and it started working again.
0: Oh, yeah, that's real common on iPhones, too. If you're charging and it will stop charging if you touch the cable in the wrong way, very often it is just debris in the lightning port.
1: We have a trackpad and mouse this year with the iPad, uh, but you can customize it.
0: You can. So iOS and iPadOS have a, a rich history of accessibility options. They brought that uh, over to the pointer, where you can not only make the pointer uh, bigger, if you just need to make it larger, you can set the the ring color around it, so if you are uh if you're having issues uh distinguishing it maybe having a blue or an orange or a green outline around it would make it m- more easy. Uh you can set your trackpad inertia, you can set your scrolling speed and really dial in exactly how you need the pointer to show up.
1: Yeah, the the thing that'll get you on that is that there is a trackpad and pointer setting. But a bunch of those, like sizing and color outline, are controlled in accessibility. That's so right. there's two different places you need to go to, to find that. Like when I did the uh, paperless field guide, all the iPad stuff in there has a green circle around the pointer to make it easier to see on the screen. And green was kind of the color of that field guide. So I, I switched it. Um, but it, it, is, it is useful if you have trouble tracking that gray button as it moves around your iPad screen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them in here, you added that you was new to you though, I think is a really good one is people don't realize if you take a pencil and you just swipe in from the corner that it sets up basically a screenshot for you.
0: Yeah. I had no idea. This was a tweet from the Apple support account uh, of all places, which is a great, great Twitter account to follow for these sorts of things. And yeah, so you have the pencil in your hand, you drag up, from one of the uh, bottom corners and it it grabs a screenshot of the whole screen and puts you in markup mode instantly. And it's fantastic. And it makes so much sense because if the pencil's in your hand, you don't have to stop and hit the physical buttons to make a screenshot. And you can just do it really quickly, mark it up, send it on its way and not get out of your flow with the pencil. Very cool. I
1: use that All the time. I mean, that's that's one of my go-to features. Like when I'm working on a contract, if we're going back and forth on like one paragraph, I'll just blow it up in Microsoft Word with a pinch, and then I'll do the swipe screenshot, and then I'll literally write on it with the pencil what I want to change and just email it off to the guy. And um, I do that all the time. A a couple additional features here. With a website, you can can toggle between just what's on the screen and the full web page. And also with this, when you close it it gives you a dialogue to delete the shot or to save it mm-hmm. or even to add to your photos library um so you don't have to go through the sharing mechanism of saving the image just close it and it gives you the options to do it at that moment and that's really useful too like i do a lot of stuff in basecamp and uh, i need to get a screenshot of something to add to a communication in basecamp the i mean this is just a feature i use really often and and it's a it's a very nice implementation if you have an apple pencil
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Well, that was quite a few, Stephen. Quite a few. Yeah. Turns out these devices do all sorts of things.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's going to be cool when we go to the show notes in uh, talk.macpeggers.com, There's going to be a bunch of ones we missed that people add. So it's going to be even better if you head over there.
0: Yeah, this is going to be great. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things too where, these change over time right every time there's an iOS release Apple adds these additional features to make these things more useful and it's just exciting that it's a moving target too
1: yeah it's funny cuz there's a bunch in this outline that we skipped because you know we didn't want to make it a 5 hour podcast but uh, Apple is just always looking for these little tweaks and you forget about them until you start using them and i think that's one recommendation i'd give if there's something you talked about today that you want to start using more often Try and learn one at a time, you know, get it under your fingers, get used to doing that and then pick another one. Just make a list. Don't try to do them all at once. Well, that wraps it up for today for the Mac power users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Devon Technologies, and Squarespace. And we'll be talking in more power users today about the Macintosh Renaissance. See you next week.